The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. It's time to stop grumbling about the slow arrival of spring and do something about it. So the UCAP gang have taken to the skies and are now all gathered together in Lakeland, Florida for the 2007 edition of the Sun and Fun Fly-In. They're enjoying the hospitality of their new friends at Sun and Fun Radio, who are actually broadcasting the podcast live. That could turn out to be a mistake, but we appreciate their confidence. It's going to be different doing the podcast with the whole gang all in the same place at the same time, but for 80-degree weather, it's a chance we're willing to take. There are airplanes everywhere you look, the weather's fine, and the adult beverages are due any time now. So let's get started with Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 25. It's going to be a hot one. You can't find a better kickoff to the spring flying season than Sun and Front Lakeland, Florida. The real value of Sun and Fun is kind of getting the aviation juices flowing again. Have a good time. We're going to make some more memories at Sun and Fun this year. Good afternoon. Welcome to Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 25. Well, this one's pretty different, huh? This is a uh, big time. So far, so good. This is a change. We are sitting this afternoon in uh, Lakeland, Florida, on the grounds of the Sun and Fun Fly-In, and uh, and we like to talk about the weather. About around America, but we don't need to talk about the weather here. It's gorgeous, it's huh? Gorgeous, absolutely. Yeah. Blue skies, smooth sailing. So I draw you a quick little word picture here before I introduce you to my friends. Uh, we are on the deck of the Sun and Fun radio station here uh, on the Sun and Fun grounds, and the uh, Daily Air Show has just finished, and people are starting to mill around back into the exhibits area. Uh, it's a beautiful day here. It threatened to rain a little bit, but it's uh, that that threat seems to be gone, and uh, we're going to be talking to you for the next uh, couple hours about the things we've seen here at the uh, fly-in so far, and uh, we expect to have some some fun guests join us. Uh, with me uh, on the deck this afternoon, uh, we've already got a big crowd, so uh, let's introduce a few of them here. Uh, a couple of our regulars, Dave Higdon is here. Dave is, of course, an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Hi, Dave. Hey, Jack. Hey, Sun and Fun participants, and those of you listening to the podcast after this is over should have been here. It's great. It's great. And also, of course, Jeb Burnside. Jeb, a freelance aviation journalist, uh, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. Hi, Jeb. Jack, uh, good evening to you, um, and good evening to everybody here at Sun and Fun. It's a great day. Happy to be here. And all the ships at sea. Jeb gave me a ride down here uh, yesterday in his airplane. That was kind of fun. Yeah, and, I didn't scare you too bad, I hope. No, not too badly, but uh, we got here, and that's what counts. That's you know? what counts. Land, that's right. Landing that's you can right. walk away from. Only you know, one, Jack, one landing, and we rare. can use the airplane again. It's, it's rare that I meet somebody that's actually traveled with Jeb that's not sworn off flying afterwards. So He, he wasn't shaking visibly after the flight. I, I was uh, I was. Very impressed. Although, given my walking wounded status that we talked about last week, walking away from this landing was kind of a, a mixed thing. I guess maybe I didn't exactly walk away from the landing. Walking is a relative thing. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, we could call you uh, uh, Chester. That's right. Also with us in our server modified virtual hangar today is uh, another one of our regulars, James Winbrandt is here. James is an author and aviation journalist. Hi, James. How are you? How are you doing? This is fantastic to be here and great hooking up live. Great again to have you, James. The, thank you so much with the UCAP gang. It's really weird to have all of us in the same place doing this face-to-face. -face. Uh, terrifying is what comes to mind. I will point out that we did a similar get-together like this at NBAA and had the featured the rare sight, although this is radio and audio on the internet, of the UCAP gang all in ties and suits. <laughs> so that's right. That was uh, a scary concept. Exactly. That was that's true. That's a good precedent. So that's right. that's right. That was the episode where Dave and James actually did the podcast in the same room. And no fist fights ensued, so that's a good sign, right? Well, Not that's because the, the uh, NBAA media staff taped our hands behind our backs uh, before okay, we started. Right. So you had help. 
Also with us uh, on the uh, in the virtual hangar is uh, the first of our two special, uh, what we hope is going to be a raft of special guests this afternoon. Uh, we have with us uh, from from Sun and Fun staff, from Sun and Fun's wonderful staff, who have been just wonderful hosts for us here, is uh, is Donna Gabriel, who was on the podcast last week. Donna is, of course, the Director of Communications and Marketing for Sun and Fun. It's my pleasure to be here. Isn't this awesome? What a, what a great event. It, it's a wonderful event. And I've this is only my second time to Sun and Fun. I came about seven, six, seven years ago, loved it, and then for various reasons wasn't able to return. But uh, So I've been looking forward. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know I've been blathering about this for about six weeks now. I, I just couldn't wait to get down here. And we it's will. living we, up to all my expectations. It's terrific. Well, we thank you very much for that. And, um, you know, I've been coming to Sun and Fun for 10 years as a guest. This is my first year on staff, so... Um, been a little overwhelming, but I'm having a good time. A little bit like this drinking from the fire year? hose, isn't it? Um, I keep saying I'm taking a drink of water from a fire hydrant. Yeah, it's kind of it, it really does kind of feel like that. Well, great to have you. Yeah. Let me come back to you because I want to ask you a question, but let me introduce the last person who's up here on the deck right now, and that is uh, Dave Shellbetter, who is uh, directly our host uh, while we're here this week. Dave is the uh, chairman of Sun and Fun Radio and has been very gracious in uh, allowing us to uh, to kind of uh, Shanghai his radio station for a little while here and, and was very, very, uh, him and his, uh, his staff and Jim, who's running the board there. We actually have someone running the board. We have technical support. Isn't this awesome? This is terrific. But anyways, uh, it's Dave. It's so nice to actually have somebody know what they're doing. Thank you for having I us, I wasn't going to say that. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here. We always like to get exposure for Sun and Fun Radio, let people know that we're here for them and for the guests of Sun and Fun. Uh-huh. Um, and, of course, Jim Belcher from Alpine, Texas, volunteer extraordinaire. Uh, we probably wouldn't be on the air if it weren't for Jim's expertise. So. And you guys wouldn't be on the, d- the air today if it weren't for Jim's that's, expertise. That's so, right. So we owe Jim a, a steak dinner. You do? Yeah. Thank you, you do? Jim. Thank you, Jim. So, Dave, tell us a little bit about Sun and Fun Radio. What's its uh, background, its history? What's, what's it all about? Well, a long time ago, uh, 13 years, 13 Sun and Funs ago, which was 12 years ago, they was found out that the, the hearing aids of the day were not compatible to PA systems. And in order to be ADA compliant, we needed a way to get announcements to people that were hearing impaired. The radio station was born. I was a, a media center volunteer. I was one of the news hounds at the media center. That's where I actually got to know Dave and his beautiful bride, Annie. And they came up to me as a volunteer and said, hey, we're, uh, we're going to have a radio station. Do you want to help? And I, being the volunteer, I'm sure. What can I do to help? And they sat me down at a desk, and they put a microphone in front of me and said, start talking and don't stop. <laughs> and I said, I can do that. That would that have been a job for Dave. Right? I, I was going to say, the words right out of my something mouth. so foreign to David. So, and uh, we started out with just broadcasting our daily air show. And then we had a uh, little loop of information. And back then, we were actually using a uh, battery-powered automatic reverse cassette deck. And I would finish out the day when the air show ended. And I'd, I'd turn the cassette deck on, and I'd leave the studio. And I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd turn on my radio to make sure we were still transmitting. And if I didn't hear anything, I'd jump out of bed and run down to the station to change the batteries. And one day I caught myself about halfway between my camp and the media center, which is where the home of the original station was, halfway there. And I looked down, and I'm like, I'm still in my nightshirt. <laughs> and we've taken it. They, they said, you know, do what you want with it. Just don't, uh, don't lose the license. They gave me some guidelines. We are licensed as a traveler's information station, so we are not permitted to play music as in program songs. You know, we can't, we're not disc jockeys here. We're also, because we're a traveler's information station, we're not, accept, we're not allowed to accept money for commercial advertising. People real often, especially during Sun and Fun, hear me talking about commercial ventures here at the Fly-In. That's simply giving people an information on a point of interest. And in our humble beginnings from me and a microphone in a little tiny front room of the media center, um, O.B. Young and the staff here at the FAA Aviation Safety Center and Production Studios offered me a place to set up camp and I, 12 years ago and I'm still here and uh, actually we're going to be hopefully in a, a new brand new facility for next year because O.B.'s studio here is expanding even more and they need their space back. So, but I've uh, taken it into a we pretend it's a real radio station during the fly-in. We do a morning show, we do remote broadcasts, we do the air show, overnight programming, and we love it. I've got a staff now. This year I had 27 people on the volunteer staff. 
Well, and you guys do some great things like uh, interviewing the air show performers, newsmakers here at the show. Uh, you really provide a great public service to the folks that actually attend Sun and Fun. Well, I'll tell you, I, and I have to tell everybody that were it not for my co-chairman, Terry Fowler, um, Terry came on as a volunteer, and he was going to be just running around, and he showed blind, selfless dedication to the station and getting the word out about the station. And I will readily admit, Terry Fowler is pretty much personally responsible for the majority of the interviews we have here at the station. A lot of my volunteer announcers line up their own interviews, but Terry works months and months and months before the fly-in, contacting people and setting it up. That's great. Well, we're very, very pleased to be here and uh, cannot thank you enough for the opportunity. Oh, you're, you're welcome, here. and I look forward to doing it again next year. So do we. That is, if you guys behave yourselves. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> it's, it's early still. Knowing, right. knowing Higdon like I do, I had, I had to throw that stipulation in there. <laughs> I was just going to say, if we you know, can survive this one with no major faux pas or stepping in anything ugly, uh, our biggest goal here is to be invited back next year. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Donna, I know... You, you, along with so many people here at Sun and Fun, have been up literally since O-Dark 30 this morning, and I think you're kind of starting to fade. So um, before you run off, though, tell us a little bit about, uh, we talked last week about what you were expecting was going to happen, and we're only in day two, so we're still getting going, but how's the fly-in going so far? Well, that's day two for you guys. It's day four for me. It's actually going very well. We've, uh, we opened the media center actually um, on Sunday, so we've been really going at it. And I, I just wanted to, to say that the most important thing I see here is that you're all appropriately attired in your new Sun and Fun that's logo right. t-shirts. With the, now, this is a new logo, right? Yes, it is. What's that all about? Yes, it is. It's a brand new logo. Um, it's, it's, it's really an update on, our, on the um, old logo that has served us really well for 33 years. Um, Sun and Fun is, as you all know, I don't to tell you has a, a long rich um, history of aviation and tradition and we wanted to stay true to that but we also wanted to add some elements to that that really reflected where we're going um, in the future and where we are now and one of those you'll see is the palm tree and I don't have to tell you that uh, um, the weather here is is just awesome and that's and it's one of the things that that people are looking for when they come to Sun and Fun and uh, it's just inherit yeah. And then what we have available. So we wanted to do that. You see an updated aircraft, but you still see some of the same colors. Um, still, still sort of a, a seal design that that's that's true to our history. So tell us a little bit about some of the events and activities that have happened so far uh, in the fly-in. Uh, any big announcements or uh, uh, you know visitors uh, that that have come into the fly-in yet? Well, I think um, I've, I've been pretty much stuck in the media center for the past three or four days, but I, I, I would like to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that are still coming up. Um, we've got uh, some really cool things coming up for the weekend, and Sunday Fun has done three really new big things this year, and one of those is opening the flight line um, to everybody. And you guys know that in the past that uh, the flight line was open um, to folks that had some kind of um, airman certificate, and, and later on that was expanded to folks who were um, members of the museum, EAA um, members. And we really, our mission is to expose people of all ages to aviation, and we really just felt it was important to give people a, an opportunity, all of our guests, an opportunity to see up close and firsthand can, um, what, what all of us come here for, and that's to not only see the airplanes, but to talk to the pilots who fly them in, and, um, and, and I, I think that's going really well um, so far. People seem to really be enjoying, um, enjoy being able to get on, on the flight line and, and see the airplanes. We also, this year, are offering a half-price weekend, a whole weekend, Saturday and Sunday, to Florida residents and to active-duty military and retired military. Um, folks, and um, and on Saturday night, of course, I don't want to leave out. We have Aaron Tippin, who will be in concert here at uh, seven o'clock p.m. Aaron actually came to our press conference on Monday afternoon, and is just a terrific guy. Well, Aaron is, for those of you who may not be familiar, is a very active GA pilot. Uh, he was hoping to pursue a career as an airline pilot uh, in a younger life, and. Well, economics, uh, collapse of the airline industry, a few things didn't go his way. And uh, he said, well, you know, music's a great fallback, and I think the world may be better for it. Absolutely. Um, Aaron is, um, I, I really didn't know a lot about Aaron before this all started, but um, he's actually a very interesting person. Had a, uh, got soloed when he was 16, had his commercial multi-engine 
um, in instrument ratings by the time he was 18 years old. So he's been around aviation for a long time, strong supporter of our military folks, and, and was a really good fit for this year's fly-in. Obviously a quick stu quicker study than some of us like Jeb. <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> well, I'll have you know. No, um, no that's, that's quite an achievement for anybody. Uh, Absolutely, uh, yeah. and it shows a real passion for aviation. It, it does, it does. Um, I think we talked about, uh, no, it was a different conversation I had recently, talked about um, um, ages at which some of us got our uh, tickets and, and whatnot. I was fortunate enough to did, did indeed solo in uh, as at, at 16. So um, he and I are in the same ballpark, but he clearly went further and more quickly than I did. And usually what happens is that the things that 16-year-olds solo don't have anything to do with aviation. Well, <laughs> we're on radio, right? We can't, we can't. We, CC would like to radio, speak to you, right? Mr. Higdon. Boy, did I say something wrong? Yeah, so, I'm speechless. That's all I can say right now. Donna, before we, uh, we'd love you to stick around as long as you're able. The crowds seem pretty good. Everybody seems to be having a good time. There's a lot of people here. And uh, how's it going? Well, there seem to be a lot of people here, and I don't, don't have any specific numbers for you, but, you know, I've been coming here 10 years and uh, took a drive around the campus today and was really amazed at the numbers, Went, drove through the campground. It's really packed. The crowds seem really, really strong. So I think the weather's holding out. we got some great things coming up. It's going to be a great sun and fun event. Great. Well, again, thank you for stopping by. Please stay. I'm not trying to kick you out or no, anything. But, it's okay. uh, but I understand you're, you're, you're fading, and uh, that's understandable. And uh, stick around as long as you're able, but we'll talk to you again soon. Thank well, you guys very much for yeah. having me on. To back up a little bit what Donna was talking about, about the crowd here, uh, um, it was my good fortune to arrive at the, sh at the showgrounds on Sunday afternoon. And it's what you'd normally expect to see after a huge weather front came through and uh, it's two days before the show and the field's a little bit spare but uh, Jeb and I took a drive around the grounds uh, later today and it's beginning to look like all those things you'd expect from uh, the second largest flying in the world the field is filling up uh, more and more airplanes here every minute That's I mean right. there are people arriving as we speak in droves and uh, the, the grounds are beginning to look like what we expect to see at Sun and Fun based on past experience. It is really loading up here, but that doesn't mean that it's too late for you to come in. So, you know, Absolutely. now's the time. James, you've been pretty quiet. Uh, Go well, ahead. Another thing about the crowds, uh, this is probably about my 12th Sun and Fun uh, consecutively. And when I first came here, you had to look long and hard to see any women who were here as attendees. It was pretty much a male-dominated audience, and I'm so glad that every year we seem to have more and more women of all ages coming, women who maybe now they're bringing their significant other with right. them instead of the other way around. I, that just bodes so well for the aviation community and, and for the future of it, and it's just something really heartening to see. It absolutely is, and I would echo that. Not only to add, not only add that we, we just, as you were talking, James, we just saw a gentleman walk by with two of his children. I presume they're his children, but very young kids, and uh, it is a family event also. Um, no one should expect uh, uh, anything else here at Sun and Fun. But uh, and David mentioned that he and I had the opportunity to kind of cruise the grounds earlier today, and I was very uh, impressed and very gratified to see that uh, a lot of the aircraft parking areas are filled. There are no gaps in the lines. Um, uh, they're, they're filled, uh, I won't say filled, but they're, they're uh, very... They're filling up. Yeah, they're filling up all the way out to Choppertown. And any, anybody who's been here before at Sun and Fun knows where Choppertown is and, and knows the, the parking areas. There is still plenty of aircraft parking. But um, uh, what there is is uh, quality. Uh, if you walk around some of the, the uh, vendor hangers, the exhibit displays, uh, it is crowded. I bumped into a few people absentmindedly, and they bumped into me absentmindedly. That, to me, is all an indication that the attendance this year is very good. Uh, the Sun and Fun staff obviously should be congratulated. Um, one final note, and Dave and I um, remarked on this a couple of years ago, and we've remarked on it again this afternoon. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were kind of cruising the, the, uh, the parked aircraft and noticed a lot of for sale signs. 
Uh, at one point, which is a little discouraging in some ways. A little, a little discouraging in, in many ways. Um, at one point, basically every third aircraft we saw parked out on Sun and Fun grounds had a for sale sign on it. This year, we're very happy to say that that is not the case. Um, we counted maybe a half a dozen for sale signs Somewhere among easily 200 aircraft. And that tells me that uh, the uh, um, fuel, uh, inc- fuel price increase of a couple of years ago that I think hit a lot of people very hard, very sudden perhaps also, has, has been absorbed. And uh, e- people are either deciding to keep hang, hang on to their airplanes or uh, uh, have decided that um, you know, they, can, they can sustain that increased uh, fuel price. Well, and GA pilots tend to be, uh, in, 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 from my perspective, a little smarter than the average population. And a lot of these folks have obviously figured out that there are ways to fill their tanks on their budgets and make the trip down here to Lakeland, Florida and enjoy everything Sun and Fun has to offer. And Sun and Fun has a lot to offer anybody who wants to kick the dust off their ailerons after a winter. Well, speaking of that, let's just let's dive into the meat of the matter here. Uh, What's going on? What have we seen? What's been notable? Let me start with Dave Shaw. I'm sorry, James, you had something you want to drop in, jump in here with? Well, I'm ready to go and, and talk about all the great things here anytime we want to plunge yeah, into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey. Let's start with Dave Shellbetter because he's got to leave us in a little bit too, uh, I think. Oh, we, got a, we have a microphone problem here, and uh, so we're sharing mics. And anyways, Dave, Micus what, have, uh, what have you seen so far here at the uh, Flying? Uh, what have I seen so far here at the Flying? I've seen the radio deck. <laughs> just as we are seeing it now 12 to 14 hours a day i have seen the radio deck that's what that chain around your ankle is all about absolutely there. absolutely look there's a big old padlock on the end of it and and uh, donna I, took off before she gave me the key for the padlock so, i thought uh, that was just a monitoring device <laughs> well, well that conviction was overturned on appeal <laughs> be that as it may no. you certainly have a really interesting view of the fly-in in that you stand here all day and talk to folks about I, the fly-in what have they been telling you about what's going on and what's notable i have heard a lot of really neat stuff from a lot of people i've done some great interviews um our friends with cessna are here they have the cessna center over here they're also celebrating i believe it's 80th 80 anniversary that's 80 right 80 years um we've had just a lot of great patty wagstaff was on deck today talking about going to be in the show this coming weekend uh, you know the problem is that it, it all kind of gets jumbled when you when you're up here for 12, 14 hours in a day. Yeah. Now, we're only live for about four to five hours a day. We do remote broadcasts. On, only four on, or five Only hours. four to five hours a day. And I've got a staff of really good volunteers that take over and let me take a spell, take a breather. But, you know, we've just had everybody telling us how glad they are to be here. They're excited to be here. There's some great stuff going on. We've had vendors here, brought us some new, uh, new information. In fact... Our friends with Sennheiser were by and talking to us about the new microphones that they donated for the radio station to use. You know, everything we do here is all. So, if donations. we all sound a little more coherent than normal, credit Sennheiser. That's right. Okay. Well, there's a joke there. It's we may sound clearer. Whether we sound more coherent is another question altogether. If we sound more coherent, well, that's one of the surprises of the day. Higdon, what have you seen? What's notable here at the show so far? I've seen a couple of very interesting new experimental airplanes on the field uh, that uh, we'll we'll talk about a little more when more of them are flying, but uh, uh, development and advances in general aviation are alive and well at Sun and Fun, and uh, uh, the new four-place composite sitting over in uh, one of the areas, uh, completely new design, a couple of new light sport aircraft category airplanes here. Uh, one of the most established manufacturers in the ultralight and light experimental community is working on a new LSA. Uh, we've got some new kit designs out on the field. It's a, it's a very dynamic time in general aviation up and down the scale, whether you're flying single-engine pistons or kerosene burners. But nowhere is it more evident at this time of year than here at Sun and Fun. I, w- I would agree with that. Um, clearly... AirVenture is, is kind of the Cadillac, but uh, uh, AirVenture is much later in the year, and it's not in this venue of, of uh, Central Florida in April. Um, looking around the grounds and looking around the various exhibits and uh, uh, the various vendors, I, I'm always impressed by the innovation, uh, by the workmanship that you see, 
and and by the uh, uh, just this variety. We Dave and I were over at, at uh, Paradise City earlier today. At Paradise City, for those of you who are not aware, is the uh, the ultralight and uh, light sport aircraft uh, headquarters, if you will, for Sun and Fun. And uh, I'm always in, in many ways one of my favorite places. Exactly, this flying because exactly. they're flying over there. It's great. Right, exactly, they're, they have they're a flying little, over uh, there as we speak. What a two or three hundred uh, yard strip over there, and and they're flying pretty it's much an eight, day around. Eighteen hundred foot grass strip, nine two seven orientation, uh-huh. and every morning seven a.m. They're the wake-up call for thousands of campers here on the grounds, and every evening after the air show ends, they're back up flying light sport, ultralight, powered parachutes, uh, powered paragliders. Uh, it's a really dynamic area, and you can get right up next to the flight line and see these machines up close and personal. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the real grassroots of, of general aviation to me. Um, uh, sure. Um, we have people who are, are building uh, kit planes in their hangars, uh, whether they're, they're building them out of sheet metal or, or fiberglass or some composite. But uh, the light or sport good movement. Good old-fashioned tube and rag. Exactly. Um, the light sport movement is, is uh, a very dynamic one. And, and anybody uh, who wants to see the future of GA, wants to see where uh, uh, we're going to be headed and wh- what we might be flying in a few years, um, at least in, in short range for the $100 hamburger. Um, go over to Paradise City, take a look around, uh, kick some tires, uh, wiggle some ailerons, and uh, um, you'll see what's going on. It's very exciting. Yeah. I am going to interject here for a minute. Yeah. Absolutely. Go over, wiggle the ailerons, kick the tires, make sure you get the owner's permission first. Thank you very much for pointing that out. I, I, I meant that uh, figuratively, not literally. Well, this is, we are broadcasting live to a Sun and Fun participant audience, so we want to make sure with the new open flight line policy, we let everybody know not to Absolutely. touch the airplanes. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think past experience tells us that everyone's going to be great, but it is important to be aware that uh, these are people's precious, you know, a lot of them, they've built them with their bare hands in their garages. Look, and you want to be really touch. respectful. Yeah. Look as closely as you want, but don't touch. Before I ask Jeb the question here, I, I just want to point out to our listeners on the on the internet that uh, you may be hearing all sorts of noises in the background. It's a really interesting environment we're in here. Um, in addition to all sorts of people uh, wandering back and forth, we're right by one of the main thoroughfares here on the flying grounds, and uh, there's all sorts of vehicles going back and forth. There's golf carts. There's uh, delivery trucks. There's uh, uh, we're hearing. Uh, I think someone was backing up over here a few minutes ago. And we we have guests in waiting. We have. Uh, That's right. Uh, all, all, all that was kinds a little hint. That was a little hint. That was a, that was a segue. But I want to finish up here first. So what do you think was notable, real quick? What's, what have you seen so far? What I think is notable is that um, compared to what I've seen in a couple, a couple of previous years when maybe attendance was down or enthusiasm was down, it's back. Um, uh-huh. I, I, I mentioned the uh, for sale signs and uh, gas prices earlier. I think that uh, that hump has been, uh, uh, has been climbed, as it were. Um, I think everybody who is here this year uh, is um, definitely looking uh, at the future of, of GA and their, their participation in it, and I think that future is bright. Have I seen anything specific that uh, knocks my socks off? Uh, other than a couple of booth babes, no. But um, uh, there, there's still time. And James, what, what have you seen so far that's been notable? Well, there have been a number of things, and to, to emphasize, the thing about Sun and Fun, it is kind of the kickoff of the flying season, so inevitably, inevitably, we're looking like for what's the big story, what is the new thing that's coming. Sometimes we have it, sometimes we don't, but there is always this just wonderful chance to get together again, to dust off the aircraft, to be in a warm place after a lousy, and I sleety it. winter. But uh, this year we do have some new things. Uh, when we alluded a little before about uh, us meeting up and doing an earlier podcast at NBAA, which we dubbed the year of the VLJ there because of the, all the VLJ announcements coming out, in some ways we might call this Sun and Fun the year of the PJ because now we're really seeing the personal jet being unveiled by a number of manufacturers. Obviously, Cessna made news with the Mustang earlier at NBAA, but now here uh, we've got Cirrus, who've announced now that, yes, indeed, they're going ahead with their personal jet. 
we've got the mock-up of the D-Jet, which is beautiful. It's a big, spacious cabin, really impressive. And we have, obviously, Piper is here with the mock-up of the Piper Jet. So all these boats, as we see at Paradise City, what's happening at that end of the envelope, we're also seeing the tremendous expansion at the upper end of the GA envelope for the uh, owner-flown market now. We're going to be uh, in front of uh, turbines without uh, without propellers attached to them, in addition, pistons. In addition to Diamond and Cirrus with their uh, uh, proposed jets, Embraer is here. Uh, Cessna, as, as James mentioned, is also here with their, their Mustang. But Embraer is here, the Brazilian manufacturer. Um, who is uh, uh, which is developing uh, their Phenom 100 and 300 very light jets? Uh, they're also, I'm sure, marketing. Uh, if if you want to chunk, if you want to write down the check, write the check. Uh, they're marketing their legacy uh, long range biz jet. Um, clearly, uh, we're looking at a broad spectrum of, of GI here at Sun and Fun. And that that that's long been one of the hallmarks of Sun and Fun. Is if you're thinking about general aviation, about private pilots and overflown aircraft, uh, there's virtually nothing that you'll miss here. From the ultralights to light experimental to more high performance experimental to factory built GA to the light end of the business jet market, it's here, it's now, it's live, it's happening. Yeah, it's really exciting. Lots of things going on. We've been joined by one of our friends here, uh, Craig. Uh, James, would you like to do the honor and, and introduce us to uh, Craig? Well, it would be my honor. And sitting directly to my left in our guest chair is Craig Barnett. He is the founder of Scheme Designers, which is the preeminent company designing the paint scheme seen on many, many aircraft. Uh, Craig designs for most of the major manufacturers and also custom designs for many private aircraft owners. Uh, he's uh, remarkably knowledgeable about aviation and, and talented and aircraft, and uh, we're pleased to have him with us. Craig, welcome to the uh, the UCAP podcast here. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's nice to hear so many people say so many nice things about what well, we do. Craig's a good friend, not only of uh, the podcast generally, but of us individually. Uh, we always seem to be getting together at uh, uh, the various Sun and Fun and uh, Oshkosh and NBAA events, but uh, it's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on. A lot of us who come to these shows, whether it's for work or to to look around, this is, I guess you'd call me a classic aerosexual. <laughs> <laughs> aerosexual. <laughs> Remember, we're live radio here. I know, I know. But that, that's what my uh, aircraft, aircraft partner calls me. He's just happy to get in the plane and tootle here and there, and I'm happy to sit and talk about planes all day. But I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, and I know that in addition to your work in the aviation field, you're very involved personally. Uh, you, I, I've heard you tell lots of stories about your involvement and your interests. What have you seen so far here that you think is interesting? above and beyond your business, which is very interesting. That, that, that's a very tough question to ask me because I'm locked in a booth all day. Uh, another one of so those chained at the ankle things. Chained at the ankles like you are. Um, but outside the door of, uh, of where uh, I am is the AOPA Cardinal, which is a project I was involved in. And uh, this year uh, they've taken that project, the refurbishment project for the sweepstakes aircraft, so much further than they've ever done before. Um, in terms of refurbishing, and uh, it's been a very interesting project to to watch and, and watching how AOPA is handling it and how all the different contributors are, are managing it has uh, been one of the most interesting years on, on the sweepstakes. Craig, you've done a, the paint schemes on several of the AOPA sweepstakes aircraft, have you not? Yeah, um, I think it's about six. Let's see, it's uh, Millennium Mooney, uh -huh. the uh, AOPA Bonanza from 2001. Right. And then there were uh, three years where they did the Waco and the Tripacer, which had st standard factory schemes on them. And then I picked up again with the Twin Comanche and the Commander, the Cherokee 6, and now the Cardinal. I must say those projects, I'm, I'm a huge fan of AOPA and, of course, a member. And those projects are among the things I do each year that give me the most pleasure and I get the most free hand in design so it's how, very interesting how does to that do. what's the process like when you're working with a client or a customer designing a paint scheme for their airplanes uh, what's the how's that work well uh, generally when we start out uh, the first thing we do with a client is try and understand what they like um, because as a designer you can design 
forever against your own tastes, but if you're not designing against the client's taste, it's, uh, it's a miserable process. So the first step is to understand what the client wants. Um, we generally then start out with at least five designs built around that client's personal tastes. And uh, those designs are presented to the client via a website, uh, which is a unique custom uh, website just for the client to use. Once we've done that, uh, it's a very iterative and interactive process. Um, typically, a client will email or call us with comments as to what they've seen. And we'll start a process of making changes and posting them to the client's website. And that repeats itself again and again. Often, we'll add new designs along the way. And we've developed a program where it's a flat fee service. So we don't, the client never feels nervous to come back to us. We're not charging like a lawyer, like every time they call us we start the meter and so uh, as a result um, we don't get rich but the client gets a very uh, a very uh, solid amount of input into the project as much as they want and they are happy in the end because uh, ultimately if, if you've got unlimited design available to you you're going to use it until you're satisfied yeah and, and I think uh, one of the things that you you left out of that is you have a lot of canned uh, uh, airframes, uh, shall we say, uh, bare canvases, ready Correct. ready to be painted, ready to be designed by an owner, um, obviously including certified aircraft, but also including home builds. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've been lucky enough to work on everything from little RV3s and little ultralights all the way through 747s, both in the commercial and the private market. We work on a lot of business jets. We work on a lot of airliner paint schemes. But still today, the bulk volume of our business is an individual owner who is refurbishing their plane and wants it to look how they want it to look. Sometimes right. they want it to look modern. Sometimes they're going after something retro. Sometimes they want to go back to how the factory had it in the 70s or 60s uh -huh. or, or 80s. So um, it's really that individual owner that is my main clientele and my bread and butter. Yeah. I'm also interested in how it works with the major manufacturers. You are responsible for the look of a great deal of what general aviation aircraft looked like today in terms of now, instead of just straight lines, we're seeing curves, we're seeing designs where it looks like the aircraft are really moving on the one they're still on Without the ground. Without moving at all. What, uh, how does that work, and how do you attribute that now? Is it because you have started designing that they're all doing this? How, how did it happen that just in the few years since you've been in business, you've kind of become the guy to go to for the major manufacturers that want their planes to and, look and sharp? And Craig is the go-to guy. He yeah, is. Absolutely. I'm humbled. And he's <laughs> grinning with embarrassment right now. It's very... Well, it's well-deserved. Uh, uh, Craig, I'll... I'll jump in on you here. Craig's found a niche in this market um, that no one else had filled, and he's come in with some innovation, with some technology, and um, uh, with some excellent marketing, and he's really uh, filled this niche, and uh, hats are off to him. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, and to James's point, um, I do feel a little bit of responsibility for uh, the direction that designers I um, have taken, including myself, in, in, in uh, creating a more modern, more flowing look uh, for manufacturers. But I, I think the key is I'm fortunate enough to have come from an aviation family and to have grown up in the back of a plane and to have it so deep in my blood that when I look at a plane, it doesn't matter what plane it is, there's always something of beauty there. And so when I'm designing on an aircraft, I'm designing on my favorite thing. If you asked me to go and design a, a paint scheme for a boat, I, I dread to think what would come out of it. And that's, that's what's most important about the way that we approach each project. It's as if every plane is our own plane. Well, it, bear, it bears pointing out here, uh, Craig's one of the more humble people I know in this business, and, and you know, not all of us are Which all that humble. Which is a rare thing to say. I was going to say, that with Higdon being on the other ex end exactly. of the spectrum. But, uh, uh, Craig's an active GA pilot and aircraft owner in his own right, so he doesn't come to this from the abstract, oh, this is a great place to make a living. Like he said, he grew up in the back of an airplane, and he's a participant. He's one of us. Uh, he's part of the community. One of us. Well, that's, that's kind of you to say that. Let me ask here, because uh, we all, if we have an airplane, we want it to look sharp. Sometimes we have to have it repainted. 
can you provide a few tips for people out there? Any kind of mistakes you see when people are designing or in the painting process, which I know is incredibly intricate, even though I don't know anything about how it's done. Would you have some pointers for people? Well, specifically related to what I do, the, the biggest mistake people make is not think about the paint scheme way in advance of going to a paint shop. Uh, someone will walk into a paint shop and the paint, uh, uh, the paint shop's going to ask them, what, what paint scheme do you want? And at that point, their eyes are open, they're like a deer caught in the headlights, and they're going, um, uh, 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 and they pull a photograph or uh, a picture off the internet and say, well, do this. The key point in, in, in getting what you want is pre-planning. Uh, and, and having it properly drawn up and properly specified goes a long way, which is really why the company that I have has been such a success. It's not only the design, it's the end product, which is the detailed specifications. Um, and so in doing, if you go that route, you're going to be so much more successful. And more importantly, if you're living with the design that you're going to have on your aircraft for six months beforehand, so you stick a picture on the refrigerator and you're able to mull over it every day, you're going to end up with something that's far more to your taste than if you try and do it in two days uh, quickly when the paint shop needs it. Well, and it, something else that uh, I, I wonder about here, and you can fill us in probably better than anyone I know, and that's uh, when it comes time to pick a paint shop, what should people look for? And are there some things that they should... Uh, turn and run the other way like a guy on a downwind landing when they hear oh there's many paint shops that you've got to turn and run the other way uh, the first the first thing you should do I, I would do if i was looking for a paint shop is start wandering around your local airport and Good look idea. at look at the quality of the paint on those planes um i have there is a lot of information on our website as to how to analyze a paint job not a paint scheme, but a paint job. There's some articles written you can visit at schemedesigners.com and you can read what makes a bad job versus a good job so that when you're looking at the paint scheme, uh, when you're looking at the paint on the plane, you understand what's good. When you find those planes, track down the owners and start talking. You will get your best referrals from other owners, not from your AMP, not from ads in the newspaper or in any of the magazines, but from, from your owners is where you're going to get the best referrals. Yeah, because it doesn't do a lot of good to have a great scheme and a lousy execution, does it? A absolutely. I've seen uh, paint shops take good design, whether we've done it or not, and absolutely bastardize it. Yeah, I think with anything, uh, painting an airplane, the, the, the real trick and the, the, the real um, effort to make the, air, the paint job come out in the end like you want it to is in preparation. You can, you can squirt Krylon on it if you want, uh, but uh, if, if the preparation isn't done uh, professionally and, and done well by someone who knows what they're doing, you're gonna, it's going to show at the, end of the, at the end of the job. You're com completely right, and it's interesting when you go to paint shops' websites and they tell you what they're going to do to your plane. It's almost one site is exactly like the other. It's hard to sort out the quality from, uh, from the, or the reality from the non-real uh, claims. And one of the things that is really telling when you're looking to find a paint shop is to look at paint that's been on a plane for a long time. So if you're looking at a plane that was painted five years ago and it looks fantastic, it has far more meaning than one that was painted six months ago. Because it's that longevity outside of warranty that you're really looking for. You're looking to protect your plane for the next 10 to 20 years, depending if you're hanging or, or outside. It, it, it's quite an investment to have an aircraft painted, isn't it? I always say it's the, the, the third or second largest investment yeah. in a lot of planes after your panel and engine. For me, it's been, it was right after the engine as far as expenses were concerned. You I, actually I, invest in your airplane? <laughs> Once or twice. Uh, Be careful, Higgin. He's not like a thousand miles away today. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's within That's right. striking That's distance. Right. Uh, when I had my airplane painted in uh, '02, the the whole job was about twelve thousand five hundred dollars. About uh, ninety five hundred or ten thousand of that was the actual paint. I had some airframe work, some some uh, antennas relocated, uh, things like that. Done. He had some hail dimples to have removed. Well, that was that was actually after the paint job. Um, um, to put some uh, I didn't on realize that, that part of the story. So you had it painted, then the hailstorm I, I happened? I had it painted in early 02, in August of 02, 
a major thunderstorm came through the airport at which the airplane was based and dumped some hail on my airplane, uh, totaled a couple of airplanes, uh, wrecked several others, and uh, uh, sprinkled hail on countless others. There were, there, there were one, several golfers showed up that wanted to tee his airplane off right. on the 19th hole. As it happened, I had I'd heard about the thunderstorm and heard uh, um, either tel- via telephone or online that night that the thunderstorm had come through and drove out to the airport about midnight that evening to check to see that the airplane was okay. And sure enough, it was right where I'd left it, tied down uh, just fine, no, no apparent damage to it. Uh, but that was in the dark. And in the light of day, you could start looking at it very closely and say, wait a second, this is not the paint job I paid for. Some of his neighbors on the tie-downs nicknamed his airplane True Flight. <laughs> Dimples. That, that airplane has several nicknames, depending on uh, whether you're watching it go by or, or, or watching it pass you. Craig, do uh, what about price? Should people shop and James by price? just rips us back into <laughs> right back to reality. Thank you, James. <laughs> We're about to be on a riff. Thank you, James. You I go. appreciate it. Go ahead, continue. Should should be how how important is the price, or is this the case? What you pay is what you're going to get. I mean, should the, you be looking for the low ball, the high ball? I, I absolutely tell my clients never to go with a low ball price. You you can get your average. Uh, Skyhawk painted from anywhere from $5,500 to $14,000, $15,000. And I can tell you that all those shops are not making a lot of money, even the $15,000 ones. What they're doing is a lot of laborious, time-consuming work. And all that money is in, in labor. The materials are a small portion of it. And so, so you know when you're getting a low-ball price, there's something they're not doing and you need to stay away from those shops. The it shop just means you're going to, in six years' time, need, need paint again instead and of And if you go into time. the shop and their paint, uh, their aircraft painting system uh, consists of a bunch of uh, paint brushes and, uh, <laughs> and, then and, you know you're in and, trouble. and, and uh, retail store uh, latex paint, turn around That's and right. fly like That's a bat right. out of hell. Uh, uh, similarly, if, I'm sorry, to similarly, if you, if you go in a paint shop and you ask them what paint they use and it's some brand that nobody's ever heard of, turn around and, right. and leave. You want to make sure they're using an, a paint that's designed and formulated for aviation. Because uh, we our, our fuselages undergo stresses that cars and houses and boats don't undergo. You th- yeah, you think about uh, just the temperature extremes. The average general aviation airplane experiences uh, in six months. Uh, you go from uh, uh, freezing, certainly s- below freezing, uh, perhaps zero degree Fahrenheit, uh, all the way up to 100, 100 plus degrees, and that's uh, uh, just in the normal operating ranges uh, of various aircraft. But uh, in my case, my airplane was out of commission for two months. Easily six weeks of those two months uh, was just in prep. It was you know removing various pieces of the airframe, uh, inspecting them, uh, making sure that they were uh, within spec, uh, cleaning them off, stripping all the old paint off. Um, um, sanding, cleaning, getting everything ready for paint application. That's, uh, that's a good point. Yeah. And if, Prepping, if you're quoted uh, uh, a three-week paint job, yeah. you need to give it some serious thought because a lot of people will promise that, and getting delivery or getting quality on that is very, very the slim a- The chance. actual time in the paint booth for my airplane was maybe a week. Yeah. And, and, and most of that was in striping well, most and, of it was and in masking drying. off. <laughs> and, and then the shooting and then the drying and then some stripes, and they rolled it out. Right. There's uh, so much concern about uh, materials, toxic materials. Has this had any impact on the quality of paints? Have they had to reformulate? Do we see any new products that uh, hold the promise of a longer-lasting paint job coming on down the pike? That's a tough question to ask, and and my personal jury is still out on that. But what I am seeing uh, with certain manufacturers where they have much more stringent EPA limitations than uh, your average paint shop down the street is they're forced to use paints with newer formulations that are not giving the same quality and depth of finish. I've seen uh, you know some some cases where there's a little more of an orange peely look to the paint. Um, that uh, you won't see coming out of a quality shop. And the in my discussions with those manufacturers, their hands are really tied behind their back to uh, get things done. Um, and, and so you're, uh, 
you really want to be careful ab about that. But the paint shops themselves are not overly affected. What you find is paint shops tend to stick with the old brands that they know and trust. And they never want to try new products or seldom want to try new products because they're putting their profit on, uh, uh, on the line. Here's what I want to know. So how often do you work with a client who wants their paint, their airplane painted in a way that you just think is off? Don't name names here, but, you know, it's like well, awful colors. Well, let me Fred or Smith. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, one of the fun parts of being a designer and, uh, and, and getting paid to do it is once they've given me their credit card number, I'm free with my opinions. Uh, and a lot of people hire me for my opinions, but every now and again you'll get uh, a client who's doing something that I just don't agree with. And we will fight it out. We will argue every time we talk. Usually, if I'm unable to win the arguments on uh, factual, technical grounds or artistic grounds, the client will win because ultimately is paying the bill. And right. so it does happen, I would say, probably in 20% of the design work we do, that the end product is something that I personally would never put on my plane. Have you ever had somebody come back to you after that and said, you know, you were right? I have. Um, but uh, there has also been some times when I've gone to look at the plane and I've got gone, you know what, you were right. Ah, <laughs> so okay. Does, uh, what goes around comes around. <laughs> that's right. My clients know things sometimes that I don't know, but there's definitely been times. Uh, and there was one time I w had a fight with a, a guy over colors on his 210, and the argument, his wife had picked the colors and he didn't want to get her upset, and I argued and argued. And when it came time to sell the plane, nobody wanted to pay his price because they all said, you have to repaint, you have to repaint. And, you know, a client like that came back to me to help choose new colors. He repainted the stripe. And then he said, well, it cost me $1,000, but you were right. Yeah. So yeah. occasionally <laughs> I get to say, yeah, I was right. <laughs> so we want you to stick around, but uh, before you, you need to run off, um, where's your booth here? Uh, in Hangar A. There's a couple of things that uh, we're doing. Come around Hangar A15, which is on the uh, east wall of Hangar A. And also, um, there's a, a seminar at uh, 11 a.m. on Friday. Please check the schedule because it may be 12, but I think it's 11 a.m. <laughs> on Friday, um, where I uh, give a talk on not what we do for a client, but on how to do what we do. So if you want to design your own paint scheme, uh, and you want to know everything involved and come up with an end product like we come up with, um, and you're exploring this, that's the forum to go to, and that is in Forum Tent 9 on Friday. So please come around there. Highly recommended. And for those people who are listening uh, to the podcast later on, what's your website? Our website, uh, we have two. Our primary website is www.schemedesigners.com. It's designers, plural. And uh, we have another uh, website, which is a database of nearly 5,000 can designs that people can browse through and use, and that's called aircraftcolor.com. So two websites to look at. Great. That's terrific. You, you can even link your customers up with somebody that can do some great air-to-airs of their finished paint job. Absolutely. We've been yeah. trying to encourage clients to do that for years, and I, I think it's a great thing for people to, and, to and do. And, Craig, not only do you have uh, the, the silhouettes and, and the, the plan forms to, to work from, as well as uh, your, your designing website, but you also can refer aircraft owners to paint shops in their area. Is right. that right? We've developed a, uh, a list that we're very proud of, of paint shops that we consider very high-quality shops. And the list is developed not through being friends with the shops in any way, although we are friends with many of them, but really through feedback from our clients. And uh, we, we, we don't accept money from paint shops to be on that list. We only accept client feedback to be on that list, and it takes quite a few clients before you can get on the list. And uh, that list is on our website, and it helps a lot of people find paint shops uh, and make sure they're going to quality shops. There are kind of companies where when I tell you to go to XYZ paint shop in your area, you know you can go there, drop off the plane, and come back later, and you'll have a perfect job, and you're not going to worry about it. You're not going to get ripped off, etc. So you're kind of a one-stop shop if somebody wants to have a scheme designed and pick a paint shop that works for them and uh, get that finish that they're looking for. Uh, that's that's what we try and do. I mean, we don't charge for all those other extra services around the paint scheme design. We only... Uh, charge for the actual design itself. But really, we talk to clients and potential clients and, and non-clients freely about all issues related to paint. Uh, one other thing, if a lot of people like to design their own schemes and 
we freely help those clients too. If you go to our aircraft color site, for example, we happily give away all the drawings that we've spent uh, years and years developing f to individual owners for free to, to use in their, in their computers or by hand to help them design their own schemes. So we really try and service all ends of the market, both paying and unpaying. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate your coming by. Uh, so, And for folks listening at home or are in here in Lakeland, uh, those website addresses will be on our uh, in our show notes. Speaking of our show notes, uh, I wanted to remind everyone who's listening both on the podcast uh, and on here on live in Lakeland that uh, you can also visit us and learn more about the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast on our website, which is at uh, www.uncontrolledairspace.com. There's a lot of fun, interesting stuff there. There's all the show notes from all of our episodes, and you can get information uh, about the uh, information that we talk about here on the podcast. Uh, you can also uh, learn more background information. You can read our blog where we post uh, some notes about things that we find interesting in the aviation world, and we c and uh, you also uh, can just uh, join into the community. You can uh, uh, get our email address to send us your comments and your listener feedback. You can get our listener line number so that you can learn about, uh, uh, you can call and leave us a, an audio comment, which we love to get. So uh, visit the Uncontrolled Airspace uh, website at www.uncontrolledairspace.com. And, you know, the, the, one of the great things about Sun and Fun is the variety of people that you have drop by the virtual hangar. And uh, we, we just had uh, one of the uh, duo that's done some genius work in general aviation in the last decade. And that's Dale Klepmeyer from Cirrus Design up in Duluth, Minnesota. They introduced their Generation 3 Cirrus here at the show a couple of days ago. Welcome, Dale. Well, thank you. Thank you. And good evening. It's nice to be here. Great to have you here. Great Thanks to have so you. much. <laughs> Thanks. Now, the, uh, you know, very, very often we hear about, uh, you know, uh, uh, new and exciting, new and improved in a lot of businesses. But in the case of the G3, this is really more than moving the cigarette lighter and changing the paint scheme, isn't it, Dale? Yeah, like uh, so many projects, I think, that we start, we, we think, you know, well, this is going to be easy. This is going to be a simple project. Let's just, you know, we can improve a few things here. Uh, this was a huge project. <laughs> Uh, redesigning the wing uh, was, it started as a, uh, a project where we were going to retool the wing, make it far more efficient to build. And you can't just go in and retool something without touching it. And once you start touching it, you can, uh, from what we've learned over the years, we can definitely make it a lot better. The might so as we, well's take over. Yep, While yep, you're in there, so you might as well do this. Might as, might well. as well do that. If we're so going to we, do this, we, we should it, do that. And if we're going to do that, we should do the other thing. And yep. next thing you know, you got a whole new generation Cirrus. Exactly. And it, it is a, a tremendous change to the airplane. It uh, not only is a lot lighter and it carries more fuel, it will be easier for us to build, you know, much improved tooling. So we will have a very, very accurate, specific wing now. So weight will be controlled to, you know, probably less than a pound between airplanes. So a very, very uh, impressive tooling set. But then in addition to that, you know, we worked on all the little things that have been annoyances to Alan and I over the years. You know, when we got into the interior, clean up a little of those things that you stare at while you're flying saying, you know, I wish that fit better, you know, and things like that. So the interior is, again, nicer, and we cleaned up the how the lighting worked inside and as well as the recognition lights on the, the wing. and so, so is the G3 series now going to be both the 22 and the 20 uh, series? Uh, how, how is the G3 going to apply to your fleet? It is, uh, it's just the, tw the 22 okay. at this point. Uh, we will uh, certainly someday go back and update the, the 22, and, or the 20, I mean, and do the next generation 20 as well. But uh, this wing was designed for the, the 22. Okay. What are its benefits as far as when compared to the standard wing? Well, the things that uh, the, the biggest benefit that the pilots will notice is, first of all, it's 50, 60 pounds lighter okay. than uh, the airplane has been in the past. So, so you get a, a higher useful load. <laughs> yep. It increased the useful load. You know, we lowered our empty weight. We increased our fuel by 11 gallons, oh, so we wow, carry okay. 92 gallons usable fuel. So again, it's you know another 40 minutes uh, flying time. Uh, we took the uh, ice panels and extended them from 
root fuselage to tip rather than uh, the TKIS, uh, the TKIS DI, uh, system. DI system. We uh, worked on the design of those to get rid of, uh, you know, we had some flow issues. We're out at the tip. It didn't flow as nicely as we wanted and through some redesign on how that worked, get much better flow through the entire TKS system. We changed the heating ventilation system. Okay. Again, a far nicer, more automotive uh, system where you can set your temperatures and you set your oh. fan speeds and your air flows nicer. Went from you mechanical mean, switches to servos, didn't you? Uh, we have some servos in it. It's uh, both mechanical now and and servo. You mean automotive ergonomics <laughs> are finally finding their way to general aviation? I'm shocked, we, shocked. We're uh, we're getting there. You know, we uh, we picked something that was, I think, very elegant, simple, easy to understand. A few servos in it, but it's still a system where, you know, if, if you don't have your power system on, you want air, you turn a switch, you get air. You know those type of things. So it's still, it's still a mechanical system, which we still like in an airplane. Sure. But it, uh, it'll look more like what you expect to see in a car and work far closer to what you get in a car. Excellent. And this isn't under development stuff that uh, the, the 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 owner, pilot, the buyers will see someday. This is here and now, isn't it? Right. This is uh, in production. At this point, we're going to break away and allow our listeners a chance to catch their breath. Part 2 of UCAP 25 will be posted in the next day or two, and it will feature the complete conversation with Dale Klapmeyer of Cirrus Design, including some exciting revelations about future aircraft and his thoughts on the adventure of starting and running an airplane company. Also in Part 2, a surprise visit from former acting administrator of the FAA, Texas tail dragger owner, and all-around great guy, Barry Valentine. Thanks for listening. You can email your suggestions and feedback about this podcast to podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Sometimes.